This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And thanks. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio, the show all about your animals and the animals around you. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson, and Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. No matter where you go in Mississippi, a friendly face is close by that can point out a local and welcoming fishing spot. As one of the many recreational outdoor activities Mississippi offers, fishing does have rules and regulations that everyone must follow to stay safe and preserve nature's waterways. So today we're going to talk to Jerry Brown from the Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Parks about fishing spots around the state, and he'll answer your questions about fishing regulations. Dr. Major's here, ready to take some pet questions. So join our conversation this morning. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 7464. You can email animals at mpbonline.org. Always like to remind you that if you miss Creature Comforts on Thursday, it repeats Saturday mornings at 6. So good morning, Libby. It is good to see you in person again. Uh, your first visit to the studio since what uh, would have been sometime in 2019, I, I guess. I think it's like yeah, 15 months ago, <laughs> maybe. I don't know, a year and a half, something. But it's, uh, it's good to be back in here. It's nice to see everybody's face. Uh, what have you been seeing in your yard recently? Oh, okay. Let's see. The continuing story of what's nesting and not nesting. The prothonotary warblers and the perulas are both re-nesting. I've had one group of babies hatched, and they've started up again. The perulas went right back to that same nest of Spanish moss that they seem to love. And the prothonotary just moved next door. He was, I had two hanging globes for them on the front porch. Uh, they're actually little metal balls that um, uh, an artist in Mississippi makes and sells them at the Craftsman's Guild, so I always buy a few. So they nested in one the first time, and now they've moved over and are in the other one. And I've got a wren on the porch and a cactus. And my favorite thing that I've been watching this week, and I think Java might want to join in because he's got a story, too. I started noticing redheaded woodpeckers just Mm. particularly showing off. We took a a trip uh, across the river to Louisiana in search of the uh, Yucatan boat launch that Paul had used in the past, and he wanted to take some people out next week. So, but. You know, had it's it's a very remote little boat launch, and you go across the river and then travel about, oh gosh, almost an hour down river on little back you know country roads until you find this. And it was a beautiful place to launch, and uh, got a great look at a redheaded woodpecker. Saw another redheaded woodpecker coming home, <laughs> making the call and showing off, and then saw one at home. So something must be going on with them. This is their time of year to be out looking for mates or whatever. Well, it's kind of everything's time of year to be looking for mates, but particularly saw the red-headed woodpeckers, and now Java's saying that... Yeah, I I was seeing red-headed woodpeckers, and it was funny because I was just bringing it to Libby as my, you know... uh, 
just my general observations. I'm starting to pay a little bit more attention when I see nature. But I pointed out the red-headed woodpecker one uh, over by my old high school, Murrah High School, just driving down the street. I said, oh, that's a red-headed woodpecker, redhead, white body, blue wings, really easy to spot. And then I saw one by Tougaloo College the other day. And then just like Libby said, one toward the house. And I was like, what is happening with these red-headed woodpeckers? They are everywhere. <laughs> but one the cool thing about them, they're just so easy to spot, so distinct with that bright red head, that white body, and that blue, those blue wings all, you know, bouncing against each other. I, I, I'm not sure I've seen, but I usually hear woodpeckers. In, in, in past years, I've had one that likes to hammer on my, uh, the downspout on my, uh, my gutters. So uh, I haven't heard that yet, but uh, it's amazing how when, you, when they go after it, they, they really get to it. So that's, that's, that's a lot of fun. Uh, Dr. Major is on the line with us, hasn't made it into the studio yet, but hopefully in the coming weeks we'll see him in the studio as well. So good morning, Dr. Major. Good morning. We are going to start you off with an email about a rabbit. It says, my rabbit has an appointment to get neutered in about three weeks. He'll be four and a half months old. When making the appointment, they told me to go without food and water the night before surgery. After talking with other rabbit owners and reading online, I've been told rabbits aren't supposed to have food and water withheld for them for long periods of time. Do you have any advice on this matter? Oh, gosh. Uh, my advice would be to withhold the food but not the water. I don't, and I don't think it is maybe as critical as, as they think, but it's better to uh, go ahead and withhold food after, say, 7 o'clock, uh, keep water out. I don't think it's a problem. And I believe everything should be fine. All right. I think we also have a pet question on the line. So why don't we go to Jim in Vicksburg? Good morning, Jim. You're on the air. Hey, thank you. We got a couple of uh, rescue kittens from the pound, and their fur was fine at the time. But after about a week, they started having uh, patches of fur falling off. And my wife took them to the vet and said they had ringworms. So my question is, uh, is there something around, what causes ringworms? Is it something around the house or? Uh, no, no. Like it's, pro probably they had this when you got them uh, and just now really showing up, uh, usually around the face and feet more than anything else, but it can be right. all over. Uh, there is medication that can be given. I'm sure you bet uh, prescribed some, uh, but it's not something that uh, they picked up. I, I wouldn't think at your house. I would okay. say this: the hairs. I don't know if they told you, but if you use a black light uh, and shine it on on the kittens, you'll see some fluorescence. It'll be almost like neon fluorescence, very bright on these hairs. Well, the hairs have to grow out if they're on medication. So the hairs can be uh, contagious, if you understand what I'm saying there. They could reinfect. Uh, now, I, good vacuuming, this sort of thing, should take care of that. Okay. And, of course, now I've got a spot on me that I think is probably a ringworm, and I'm guessing I got it from a kitten, but I'm not sure. Is, is well, the kitten ringworm the same kind that would get on people or... Certainly, certainly it can, yes. Uh, it's uh, one of those things that does need to be treated or checked on you. And uh, I would suspect that uh, that's what it is since you have the kittens. A lot of times, they, you know, kittens got little sharp little claws, and they can spread this uh, by climbing up your arm or whatever. 
Do you have any small children? No, no, it was just my Good. wife and I, and we were hoping to get these kittens grown big enough to become barn cats, but right now okay. they're just kittens around the house. <laughs> right, but uh, children especially are susceptible. A lot of times they will, you know, a kitten will sleep in the bed with the kids or something like that and actually get in the children's hair, so that's something you don't don't want. But, yes, get this looked at and do some treatment for yourself as well. Okay. All right, Jim, thanks for your call. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Let's uh, stay on the phone lines. Our friend John Davis has called in this morning. John, you're on the air with us. Go ahead. Hello. My question is for Mr. Brown. Okay. So uh, basically it's this. Considering the havoc that uh, foreign species dumped into waterways in many places have wrought, maybe aquarium fishes that have just gotten too big, has this happened in Mississippi, and uh, how to avoid it? We occasionally will see some aquarium fish that's been put in some waters, but a lot of times these fish are tropical fish, and they cannot survive our winters. Uh, you know, occasionally, I think there was a, a actually a piranha reported in another state recently. I saw on the news. So I, I saw a, a paku, which is an aquarium fish, or an Oscar, or something like that. But a lot of times, again, uh, they may survive during the summer or spring when it's warmer, but as the water temperature is cool in the winter, they're just not made to survive those. So definitely should not be putting your aquarium fish or, or other exotic animals into uh, public waters in the state to, to introduce a species. But, but we occasionally see it. Well, I'm, I'm glad nothing nasty like uh, has happened to us as it happened elsewhere, and thank you for your answer. All right. You're welcome. Thanks, John, for the call. Let's just stay on the phone lines. Next, going to Eads, Tennessee. Joe's on the line. Good morning, Joe. Go ahead. Good morning. It's good to talk to you guys. I always enjoy your show. Thank you. Uh, about a week ago or longer, Libby talked about synchronized fireflies that uh, was in Mississippi. And so uh, I live out in the country. My wife and I were sitting on the front porch, and we were watching the fireflies like we used to do in the evenings. And I got to thinking about her, what she said about the synchronized fireflies. So I went out to the back of my house where there's a, a wooded area. I walked along the edge of the woods, and sure enough, right in the woods are these hundreds of synchronized fireflies that I've never noticed before. And um, I ran back to the house, and I got my wife. We went back to the spot where I saw them, and, and she was just amazed, and I was amazed at watching them fire, uh, do that. This was last Sunday. And then last night, I went back out again, and they were still there, flashing in their synchronized one at a time. It's like flipping a light switch off and on and seeing Christmas lights pop on and off, on and off, all together. And uh, so um, my wife and I were standing where there was a little branch in front of it, so I said, let's step over about three feet over and we can see down into the woods a little further. So I, I took out my my cell phone and turned on the flashlight and, and shined it on the ground. We walked over about three feet. And I didn't shine it up, just on the ground. I turned it off, put it back in my pocket. We looked back out in the woods, and they were not in sync anymore. They were just flashing all different different uh, times. And we thought, I thought, oh, no, my flashlight must have disturbed them and uh, got them out of sync. So we stood there, and I thought, how long will it get them back to be able to flash all at the same time again? So we stood there, and we watched, and 
a little bit to our left, some of them start blinking in sync again. And then we look to our right, and there was some a bunch blinking in sync also. But they were not in sync with each other. Like when one went on, bunch went on, the other bunch was going off. So they were not in sync with each other. Then we looked out in, further in the woods, and there was another group that was started blinking in sync. But they were blinking a little bit faster than the first two. So there was three different blinking uh, sinks of fireflies out there. And I thought, oh, no, how are they going to? If it, would they ever get back in sync like they did with everybody in the same time? So we stood there and we watched, and I noticed that the edge of each group, the fireflies were having were confused of which which uh, group should they be blinking with. Some of them were blinking with one uh, group to the left, and the other one was blinking with the group in the middle, and vice and and vice versa. But we stood there for about. 15, 20 minutes, and gradually all the fireflies got back into syncing with each other, and the whole forest again, floor again, was now blinking all in sync. And I thought that was really interesting watching uh, those little critters doing that. Joe, you did such a wonderful job of explaining that. That is exactly what I what I've tried to get more people to go outside and see because it is pretty amazing. Uh, there's one place that I know of where it's kind of close to the road, but it's country road and cars don't come by very often. But when they do, you go through that whole process every time the car goes by, you know, of a little bit off and then they all get back together. But um, I'm glad you brought up the synchronous fireflies because I really wanted to remind Mississippians that live in the northern half of the state that it's their their time. Uh, got some great reports. A friend Jason uh, wrote a couple of emails this week, and he had a good report that people were seeing them off the Natchez Trace in Tupelo, right around the Tupelo area. And then two places that uh, the public could go to view them uh, in Oxford, uh, uh, the South Campus Rail Trails off Chucky Mullins Drive. He said that he's found a good population of synchronized fireflies there. And then in Bailey's Woods near the university um, museums. And you know that there's a trail that goes between university museums and Faulkner's house. And he said they're closer um, towards the university museum. And so they're out there at night too. Again, go you know, after 8.30, travel with as little light as you can. You know, if you've got a, a red flashlight, that's good, but even that should be kept at a minimum. And uh, you ought to be able to see those in the Tupelo and Oxford area. I feel sure that there are some around Starkville. I just haven't heard from anybody. So if any of our listeners have seen more of what Joe just described, those synchronized fireflies, and would like to give us a report, we would love to hear from them, either email or um or give us a call. All right, Joe, thank you so much. As uh, Libby said, a great description of, of your uh, time watching the Firefly. So we certainly appreciate your call. Thanks for calling in. It is time for the first break of the hour. When we return, we'll be talking about fishing with our guest, Jerry Brown. He's the Assistant Director of Fisheries for the Mississippi Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Parks. We'll talk about some of the ways to stay legal while fishing and some of the top fishing places around the state. You can call with questions and comments. Our phone number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 7464 Email animals at mpbonline.org. Stay tuned.
I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart. The original Southern Remedy is available as a podcast. Subscribe using your favorite podcasting app. You can email a question to remedy at mpbonline.org. The doctor is always in on the original Southern Remedy. We're back on Creature Comforts. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major and Libby Hartfield. Today we're talking fishing around the state with Jerry Brown from the Mississippi Department of of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Parks. If you want to join the conversation with a question or a comment, you can call us at one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 You can email animals at mpbonline.org. Good morning, Jerry, and thanks for being on the show with us. If you would, uh, tell us a little bit about your background and some of the work that you do with uh, the Wildlife Department. Well, I work in the in the Fisheries Bureau. I've been with the agency for almost 23 years, and Spent most of my time as a fisheries biologist out in the field and uh, sampling our lakes and rivers and streams and managing fish populations. But uh, I'm in the office now uh, here in Jackson as assistant director of our fisheries bureau. Would you describe yourself as an avid fisherman? Uh, I would. <laughs> <laughs> so just curious, tell us, uh, maybe your dad or someone in your family kind of get you into fishing? How did it all begin? I would have to blame that on my grandmother. Okay. We had, I, grew up on a, I grew up on a small family farm in uh, Amet County, down close to the Homochitta River. And we had cows, of course, and, and they had a, about a one or two acre pond. And going down to the pond with my grandmother was kind of how I got got started. So uh, we had one stump out in the middle of this pond, and that's the only structure we had. And the goal was to get your worm as close to that stump if you, as you could uh, to catch a fish. And that's just kind of a childhood memory. But, but yeah, I think a lot of people get started on you know, small ponds or, or even going to, a, these days, a, a youth fishing rodeo mm-hmm. maybe to catch catfish, kind of get started as kids. But What were you catching in your pond? Is it bluegill? Or? Bluegill, bass uh, was, was, the main, was the main ones, but, of course, bullheads were always in there. But it was, as a kid, we didn't know the difference between them and a, and a nice catfish. So. Yeah. And we had the river as well, so my dad would take us every now and then down to the river uh, to catch catfish. So, uh, You know, you mentioned those fishing rodeos, and then there's a park in Pearl that has one every year where I like to walk, and it's fun to, on that day there to see, you know, the families go out there, and, and what a really what a great pastime it is for uh, the whole family to enjoy. And, and like in your case, it gets passed down from generation to generation. So uh, before we talk about some great places to fish, uh, how can fishers make sure that they're legal when fishing around the state? For instance, uh, who needs a fishing license? Well, anyone between the ages of 16 and 64 needs a fishing license. So uh, unless they are uh, exempt, being 100% disabled, uh, at our state lakes or our state park lakes, a, a actual lake permit will be needed in addition to that. So whether you're fishing from the bank or launching a boat to fish, uh, there's a permit there. And they can also purchase an annual permit if they fish those locations frequently uh, throughout the year. But as far as other regulations, they'll be posted on our website, probably the easiest, most convenient way to find those. I always have a life jacket for everyone that's in a boat. Uh, uh, boating safety uh, will be needed for those operating a boat, uh, things of that nature. And I always like to point out, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think I've got this right, that part of the money that from the fishing licenses goes into to conservation efforts. Is that yes, right? Yes, that, that, that funds, our, funds our agency, the money, the dollars spent on fishing licenses. Yes, yeah, so if, if someone grumbles about getting a fishing license, they need to keep in mind that 
The money that uh, they're paying for helps them make sure they've got some great fishing yeah, places correct. to go fishing. Uh, so uh, what's the easiest way for someone to get a license? The easiest way uh, is if you got a smartphone is to get it, is get it right there on your phone. I, I uh, have a lot of people that's buying even our lake permits now, our angle permits, uh, simply through, through our uh, smartphone or on our website. Or you can go to any of our offices at state parks or state lakes or regional offices. Uh, you can also go to places outdoor like the, even Walmart sales fishing license. We're going to be visiting with Jerry Brown from the Mississippi Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Parks throughout the hour talking about fishing. Uh, let's head back to the phone lines for just a minute. Why don't we start in Louisiana with Gary. Gary's called in today. Good morning. You're on the line with us. Go ahead. Good morning. Uh, I want to talk about snakes. I have a, uh, a small garden snake in my house. It came into my back storm door. The storm sweep was torn. I only saw it one time, and uh, then it disappeared. Uh, I know it's still here, because at night, it crawls up on my bed with me. And I want to know how to get rid of this creature. Uh, Libby, any thoughts? No. Uh, <clears throat> so you're saying there's a snake in your house, right? Yes. I would think the first thing to do is... Um, Look for how he's getting in and out of your house because um, he's got to be eating, and usually a snake wants a mouse. How big a snake are we talking about? Oh, we're talking about moving around a pencil, maybe eight, ten inches long, a small snake. Oh, okay, yes, a small snake. Okay, so that could be, do you know, can you tell me what he looks like? I can't. I'm visually impaired. I have lost my sympathy. I just saw it on the floor in front of my stove. Yeah. I explained to my neighbor what size it was. He said it was probably a garden snake. Yeah. And I, I don't think it's a poisonous snake because, like I said, on several occasions it's been in my bed at night, and that is very disturbing. Yeah, I've never heard of, of anybody having this problem before, but I do know that snakes like to go to warm places. Maybe your bed is the warmest place that it can go. Uh, what I would say is you're going to need to solicit somebody that can help you find um, any kind of cracks or you know crevices in your house that, that the um, snake is coming in. And when snakes come in houses, usually it's because they're following a food source. Like if People have a, a, a nest of mice under the stairs or in the attic or something, then a snake can get in there and eat them. Snakes will usually leave a place if there is no source of food. So I would think uh, look for anything that the snake could be eating. And again, you're going to probably need to uh, solicit some help from somebody, family or neighbors or something to try to find what the snake's eating inside and then find how he got in and close that up so that they can't get back in. All right, uh, Gary, thanks for your call. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Another call before the break, and it's Randy in Hernando. You're on the air with us, Randy. Go ahead. Yes, sir. I'd like to ask your guest, can I have any success at stocking a small pond with crappie? And uh, I've heard that black crappie would do okay. It's about a one-acre pond, and I'll just... Uh, but get off the list for you reply. Okay. That's actually a question we get a lot, and and we we try to discourage uh, people from stocking crappie in their ponds. And, and the reason is they are very prolific. They're a 
what we would call a big water species of fish that can easily overpopulate in small ponds. And you would really need to have a lot of bass in the pond to try to manage them, a lot of people fishing it to take the small ones out so they don't get stunted. So uh, we, we try to recommend a stick to uh, what we know works. It's bass, brim, crappie, and, I mean, bass, brim, and catfish uh, in small ponds. And, but crappie do well in, like, large reservoirs. But I've been told that what you end up with is a pond full of tiny little crappie, right? That's the deal, yeah. All right, thanks for that call. Let's get one other call in before our next break. It's our buddy Timothy in Louisiana. Good morning, Timothy. You're on the air. Good morning, young people. How are you all doing today? Good to hear you out there. Doing good. What do you got for us? Well, you know, I just wanted to comment. I've lived here 14 years now in north louisiana and I, two years before i bought this place uh a ca- uh, conservation restoration program uh was planted right across the road from me i'm on bayou bone id and you know riparian habitats need a buffer and this is one of those buffers that was planted you know they took farmland out of production it was poor farmland and and replanted it in a mix of hardwood and softwood and i'm here to tell you how wonderful it has turned out i see fireflies i see um uh for the first time since i've lived here i've seen um a pair of uh little blue herons are nesting in it deer are in it all the time you know it's just wonderful to see what 25 acres of restoration can produce you know so I just want to encourage conservation and restoration. Thank you so much, Timothy. That was a great testimonial. And um, you're right. One of the most important places that we can replant native trees are along our rivers and streams. The riparian zone. And, and Jerry can elaborate on this, but I know that it's good for fishing because you don't want your banks collapsing and uh, you don't want a lot of mud in the river when you're trying to fish. And a good stand of trees, I would think, is the first step, right, into yeah, stabilizing. Helps, helps with sediment, sediments coming in as well. So, All right, uh, Timothy, always good to hear from you. Thanks for your call. It is time for another break. Uh, when we get back, we'll talk about where and what are some of the best ways to catch fish in Mississippi. Dr. Major is still on the line, ready for any pet questions that you might have. Call in with questions and comments. The phone number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 7464 Email animals at mpbonline.org. Back with more after this. Hey, this is Larry Morrissey with the Mississippi Arts Commission. I'm one of the hosts of the Mississippi Arts Hour, the arts interview show on Think Radio. Each week, myself or one of my fellow hosts bring you in-depth interviews with different creative Mississippians. We talk with visual artists, musicians, writers, as well as people who help bring the arts to their communities. We hear about how each artist learned their craft and get some insight into their creative process. You can hear the Arts Hour every Sunday at 5 p.m. on Think Radio, or listen anytime by subscribing to the show through your favorite podcasting app. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson, and Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. It's Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. And our guest today is the State Lake Coordinator uh, from the Mississippi Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Parks. We're visiting with uh, Jerry Brown. So um, 
If you want to join the conversation, the phone call, the phone number is one eight seven seven MPB ring. It's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. You can email animals at mpbonline.org. Uh, so, Jerry, when it comes to the best fishing spots, does it sort of depend on what you're looking to catch? It does. It does. People that's looking for bass, bass or brim or crappie or catfish kind of want to go to the best places to fish for them. But most fortunately in Mississippi, most all of our waters have, have all of those species in it. So, uh, Now, I think it's a, not an old wives' tale, but sort of an urban myth or whatever that, you know, it, when when a fisherman finds a, a nice spot, he likes to keep it to him him or herself. Is is that the case, or are fisher folks more friendly than we might imagine? We're typically tight lipped. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, I remember working uh, working a late one year doing what we call krill surveys, where we're as part of our sampling techniques, where we're interviewing the fishermen and seeing what they're catching and. And I noticed when they came up, they were all putting their rods up and taking their lures off. And But they didn't want anyone to know exactly what they were using when they were fishing. But uh, that may have been before a tournament. But uh. So your job works against your best interest as a fisherman, <laughs> sometimes, I guess. Some, huh? Sometimes. Uh, are there some new opportunities in Mississippi for fishermen? Yeah, one of the... Uh, most recent ones is Lake Mayor Crawford, which is down in Monticello. It's in, in Lawrence County. This is a 128-acre a state fishing lake that we recently renovated. It was closed in, I think, August of 2017. Uh, the lake was completely drained, and we did a lot of work around the lake and the facility with new boat ramps, working on our piers and working on our dam and made some improvements to, like, the campground and things. But uh, we refilled the lake restocked it and now we opened it just a couple of weeks ago and it has been on fire basically uh, which a new lake usually is this is a new fish fish population that hasn't seen any lures yet and they will <laughs> usually grab you know a bass is only grab going to grab a spinnerbait so many times before he learns uh, and, and so it's really our catch rates are really high but i think a lot of people that uh came out on our opening day over a over 100 boats launched. Wow. That's a lot of boats on a 128-acre lake, but uh, I think everyone caught fish and had a great time. Uh, what about the Lafleur River Plantation? That is part of our community fishing assistance program. This is where we partner with uh, local governments and municipalities to offer, uh, offer urban-type fishing uh, for people that may not have other other areas available. And at LaFleur River Plantation is near Greenwood, and it's going to open on June 26th. Uh, so we'll be working with the Board of Supervisors there in the county, and it will be open on each Saturday from 7.30 in the morning to 5.30 in the afternoon for people to go by and be able to have a place to fish. It's, it's relatively small. It's only about five acres, but our biologists have stocked it and uh, make sure we got plenty of fish for people to catch. Uh, you know, I, I go to Hattiesburg a lot, and I've noticed uh, the Simpson Lake was drained, and it's in the process of being refurbished. Do you, do you know when that might be open? Uh, I think it'll reopen sometime in 2023. Okay. Uh, we restocked the bass this past spring, and when we restock the fish in these lakes, they're what we call fingerlings. They're only mm -hmm. an inch or two long. So we have to give them time to grow and to reproduce. So usually two years after we stock our bass is when we'll uh, look at open, reopening the lake. So yeah, we 
We've had it closed. We had to do a um, some repairs to the dam there. That's a high hazard dam uh, because of the uh, uh, homes and things that businesses downstream. So we have to maintain those dams, and uh, the construction is complete. The lake's refilled and memory stopped. So we'll be looking at it pretty soon. All right. Yeah, it's in- it was interesting. You know, like I go down to Hattiesburg on occasion, and so to see sort of the progress and to see when it was completely drained. And then I did notice that. Uh, the water's back in there, but as you said, it's time, giving it time, let nature do its trick there and restock it so that those fishermen, like the the ones we were talking about, it, like Mary Crawford, will have uh, be, be eager to get right. back out yeah. there. It'll be something to mark. <laughs> Put on your calendars in a couple of years. All right. Uh, back to the phone lines we go for a bit. We'll start again with our friend Sue in Beaumont. Good morning, Sue. You're on the air. Go ahead. Good morning. I'd like to ask your guest. I've heard for several years now that koi fish have become a problem in Mississippi waterways. I mean, they get they get out of people's ponds with floods and things, or people just put them in the waterway. Uh, are you having much, do you see many koi fish out there? And also, how about gar? Are gar extinct now? Because you never hear anything about, hear anything about a gar anymore. Well, I'll touch on the koi fish first. Uh, we, we do see them, but it's usually just very rarely. Uh, I remember shocking electrofishing sampling one year, uh, down in Natchez at a lake, and and one rolled up, and I, you know, it was bright orange and white, and I was very surprised. But uh, they they can get out, but it's very rarely that we that we actually see them. And no matter, uh, they have not uh, been a problem uh, for us. And what was the the and second gar? question was gar? They are definitely uh, still here. We have plenty of gar. Uh, we have several different species: a short nose, a long nose. The alligator gar and the spotted gar, the you know the four main ones. So uh, each of them are are very prolific in most of our like oxbow lakes along the Mississippi River, Yazoo River, Big Black, and uh, but other waterways as well. All right, Sue. Thanks to, for your call. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Next on the line, it's uh, Tanya calling in from Pontotoc. Good morning. Go ahead, please. Good morning. Can you hear me? Yeah. Go ahead. Okay, Dr. Major, I have a pet rabbit that is scheduled for a neutering in a couple of weeks. I've heard conflicting, um, some people tell me that they need to not have food or water um, before surgery the night before, and some people say no with rabbits, that's not the case. Can you clarify for me? I I would say this, and this is just uh, from personal experience, no food after, say, 7 o'clock, take the food up 7 o'clock that night, they should be okay. I would keep water out. I don't think you need to deprive the rabbit of water. It should be okay like that, okay? Okay. All right, Tatania, thanks for your call. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. We're visiting today with uh, Jerry Brown with uh, fisheries at the Mississippi Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Parks. Uh, So, Jerry, what are some other types of uh, fishing opportunities available for folks in Mississippi? Well, as I mentioned earlier, we have uh, many state fishing lakes across across Mississippi, as well as lakes on many, or if not most, of our state parks. So we have uh, a lot of fishing opportunities there for the public. All of these lakes are intensely managed by our fisheries staff and stocked with uh, bass and crappie and bream and, and catfish, and people really enjoy those. Most All of them have a nice boat ramp, uh, fishing piers, good bank fishing access is kept clean and, and nice for people. So I certainly would always recommend those. 
uh, and like the Lafleur uh, Lafleur River Plantation Lake, we have many what we call CFAP community fishing assist, assistance uh, lakes around the state. Uh, Lake Dockery down at Byram is, is is an example. Just smaller smaller lakes that are usually inside urban areas that offer fishing uh, for people. And of course, we've got miles and miles of streams in Mississippi. Uh, whether you like to wade in some of the smaller ones or, or float in a kayak or a canoe, uh, that's very popular, especially now that we're getting into the summertime. Uh, Oxbow Lake says the Mississippi River uh, starts to fall if, it, if uh, these lakes really become popular as river levels go down. So places like Chotard and Lake Whittington and Beulah up in the Delta or Lake Mary down in Wilkinson County, uh, when they start falling, people really like to go out there and catch fish. So we have a lot of opportunities here in our state. Um, when we talk about equipment, I think a lot of times the question might be, you know, if someone's first starting out, what what sort of equipment would they get? And that's important. But also I think maybe there are people listening who are fishermen, like to fish, uh, but are maybe looking to take it to the next level, as it were. So if someone is a somewhat experienced fisherman, what type of equipment would you recommend maybe that they look to buy to maybe be better or increase, you know, as I say, sort of take it to the next level? Well, you know, any hobby, you can spend money on any <laughs> hobby you have. I don't care which one it is. Uh, but, you know, obviously if you're starting out, especially kids, you know, a simple setup uh, can be simply a cane pole that a lot of us started out with or or a, a Zipco 33, you know, something that's got a push button that's easy for them to cast. But as as they graduate and, you know, start fishing more and get more experience, they may go to a bait caster or, or different type of spinning rods if you're bass fishing. Uh, jig poles, obviously, can't go wrong with that for crappie. That's pretty That's pretty simple. But uh, And all the way up to your novice tournament bass anglers, you know, you can, mm-hmm. they, they will have a lot of fancy equipment there, so... Uh, depending on what you're, how serious you are about it. I, I like what you said, because that's true. When you get involved in any kind of collection or, or a thing like that, it is amazing how all of a sudden there's just so many different things that you can buy that you want to buy or whatever. Uh, what about bait? Still crickets and worms, or is there more advanced bait that well, folks there's, can use? Well, again, the crickets and worms would be a simple approach for a beginner and, and still obviously very popular with brim fishermen and, and catfish. Uh, nothing better than find finding some bedding bluegill in the summertime and going out there with some crickets and uh, watching that court go under is always fun. But, uh, you know, my wife and I go to the store and, and Bass Pro or somewhere, and I'm picking up a few lures, and she's like, do you really need more? And I look over there, I'm like, do you need more shoes? So, you know, you can, you can always you can always fill up the tackle box, and it's nice to when you run out out there on the water to have a fresh bag. So, so is it... Um noodling isn't that the hand grabbing of the that can? that is hand grabbing okay. it's it's called it's called several different names depending on which part of the country you are in uh typically called hand grabbing here in mississippi but noodling is is one of them but yeah this is where uh anglers actually enter the water and find a nesting cavity uh, catfish are spawning this time of the year and they nest inside cavities like a hollowed out log or a stump uh a cavity in a bank, and you reach in and find the fish and grab it and pull it out. So uh, in Mississippi, our season runs from May 1st through July 15th each year, and it's very popular on different waters like Ross Barnett Reservoir is a very popular place. Have you ever done that? I have. I actually have. 
I, you're braver than I. I'm not sure I want to <laughs> stick my hand into something not knowing what's down under there. <laughs> uh, what about night fishing? Is that a different sort of experience? It is, and, and it's really popular in the summertime for crappie and catfish both. Uh, some people have put a, a small light out or fish under a light somewhere for crappie. They're a crappie be attracted to the minnows, which are coming from the bugs, obviously, in the water. And then, uh, but catfish anglers like to beat the heat and go out there at nighttime and fish for catfish at night. So it's very popular. This is Creature Comforts, time for the last break of the hour. Uh, today we've been talking to Jerry Brown from the Mississippi Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Parks about fishing in Mississippi. Still time to uh, add a question or comment with a phone call. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring Our phone number is one eight seven seven. 672-7464 or you can email animals at mpbonline.org On Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit, you get information about foods you should eat to stay in good health and tips on how to stay active. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, host of Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit and Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Listen to the show every Monday at 11 or subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy with your preferred podcasting app. We're back on Creature Comforts. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, Libby Hartfield, and our guest for the day, Jerry Brown from the Mississippi Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Parks. Still a little bit of time left to uh, join us with a question or comment. The phone number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four, or send an email to animals at mpbonline.org. If you miss any of today's show, you can always subscribe to the podcast. Just search for Creature Comforts using your preferred podcasting app. Or you can download the MPB Public Media app for your smartphone. Then you get to listen to all of the MPB Think Radio programs on your schedule. So, uh, Jerry, maybe some tips for catching various kind of fish this year. Uh, what about uh, bass? If I was going to go out right now, you know, June is really popular with fish, uh, bass fishing, topwater, uh, frogs, around vegetation, uh, popping baits. But anything topwater, especially early in the morning or late in the afternoon during low light conditions. Uh, but frogs, you can actually fish them throughout the day because the bass, will they like to get under the cover during the heat of the day when the sun's straight up. So throwing that frog up in there. But be sure to use some braided line because it's really easy to, for them to break your line as they go down into the weeds trying to get away. And now to clarify, what you're talking about is a a plastic frog. That's right? correct. That's correct. Might, That's correct. Let's, let's say that we're not. He's not torturing frogs. I'm guys. not torturing. Yeah. I'm not torturing frogs. You can get these at Walmart, a Bass Pro or Academy, but we're talking about the plastic ones. All right. So then, top water means that it's near the surface of the water. It, it floats on top of the top of the water. Yes, and it, you know, for if you're bass fishing, it's nothing like having a bass jump up and hit it at the top and seeing the splash. But uh, you know, early morning. Once it starts heating up and the sun comes up, it, you'll usually switch to something else like a crankbaits or uh, actually a large plastic worm fished in deep water around creek channels is really good this time of the year. Uh, what about for brim? Brim or bluegill will be spawning uh, throughout the summer. They, they spawn multiple times a year, so finding uh, bedding locations, just fishing around until you find them. Uh, with crickets and corks, usually they bed in three to five feet of water. So many of our state lakes and park lakes that's been renovated recently have what we call brim beds, where we have constructed those out of 
pea gravel. Uh, and that's where they like to come up and make their nests. So very popular, red ear sunfish. A lot of people call them chinky pins or shell crackers. Uh, a lot of fun to catch, too. And uh, crappie. Crappie are transitioning now to the deeper waters. They've finished spawning, and, and uh, as the water temperatures heat up, they usually head out toward deeper water. Uh, they, like to, they like structure, uh, and they also like to get along river channels and creek channels. So finding those locations in the summertime is, can really be good, especially places like Ross Barnett Reservoir getting out where the main channel goes through the reservoir will be really popular, especially if there's some trees or stumps along the edge of the channel. Got a couple minutes left in the show. We've got some phone calls to get to, so let's first say good morning to Ronnie, who's calling us from the road. Good morning, Ronnie. You're on the air with us. How are you doing today? I was just a uh, question. Was curious about the alligator population in northern part of Mississippi, and are they are they plentiful or dangerous or, or whatever? And I'll just listen to your comments about them. All right. Well, Thank I know you. I know we have alligators in most all of the in the state of Mississippi. Uh, they're certainly, when you ask about dangerous, they, I don't get reports of them, uh, any, anything with people, but it's not something that's just kind of like a snake. You want to respect them, and they usually want to get away from you as bad as you want to get away from them in those environments. But I, I work in the Fisheries Bureau. We actually uh, have a coordinator, Ricky Flint, which works in our Wildlife Bureau at our main office, and uh, I would suggest you call in our office at 601 432-2400 and asked to speak with our Wildlife Bureau. He is uh, kind of an expert on our alligator population. All right, uh, let's uh, end the calls with, it looks like, a pet question for Dr. Major coming from Linda in the Oxford area. Good morning, Linda. Go ahead. Thank you for taking my call. We have a real problem here. We live just outside of Oxford on 100 acres of land and back up our house is back up a quarter mile off of our driveway but we have been for the past three weeks now i think been harassed by a male unneutered cat uh under our house and around our house and it won't go away and we have two cats that are and our cats are neutered and we don't know what to do uh and there's no shelter. And there's no shelter for us to take him to. We would gladly take him, pay somebody to take him, but... Um, sure. Well, it gets to be a problem. Where, where are you from again? Lafayette County, outside of Oxford. Okay, there should be a shelter somewhere there, I would say. But I would get a live trap, uh, you know, one of the have-a-heart-type traps. You can trap this cat. And I would take him into a shelter. Surely there is a shelter in Oxford. I, I would be uh, surprised if there wasn't. And uh, if not, uh, I would search the uh, Internet. There are people that can help you with this. But uh, check, be sure there's a shelter. I believe in, in Oxford. I'm almost certain. But a live trap, and you can trap this cat and have somebody help you remove it. All right, uh, Linda, thanks for that call. Uh, we're on Creature Comforts, uh, wrapping things up with our guest this morning from the Mississippi Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Parks, Jerry Brown. We've been talking about fishing. Jerry, uh, if someone wants to go to the website, it's mdwfp.com? Or That's correct. .com, okay. What are some of the things that they can find out on the webpage? Uh, well, you can find out information from different parts of our agency, whether it's state parks or Wildlife Bureau or fisheries, so your WMAs, 
uh, your state fishing lakes, your state parks, things of that nature. You can make reservations at parks and find out information about each facility. You can also purchase your hunting and fishing license there or your state lake annual permits there. Uh, are there any kind of fishing reports? So with like, hey, the fish are really biting in this part of the state, that kind of thing? There are. There are. If you'll go to the fishing and boating tab and then look for fishing reports, we offer uh, weekly updated fishing reports for most all of our lakes in the state of Mississippi. So uh, definitely would check there. There's also a, usually a link to a, a depth map, which shows different contours of the lake. will show you fisher tractor locations, uh, boat ramp locations. So I would, if it's especially a place you haven't been before, I'd try that. All right. Creature Comforts is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio, funding provided in part by listeners like you. To hear today's show or a previous show, visit mpbonline.org slash creaturecomforts. Our show is produced by Java Chapman, and our call screener today was Liz Gill. So for Libby Hartfield, Dr. Troy Major, and our guest Jerry Brown, I'm Kevin Farrell. Stay tuned. Up next, it's our Thursday 10 a.m. show, AutoCorrect, with the lady auto mechanic, Allison Walker. We'll be back next Thursday at 9 for another Creature Comforts, heard only on MPB Think Radio.